Welcome to Radar Contact, the audio show that teaches pilots how to speak professionally and with confidence to air traffic control. If you have avoided contact with air traffic control because you just didn't know what to say or didn't know how to say it, Radar Contact is going to change the way you fly and communicate. And now, here's your host, airline pilot, author, and host of ATCCommunication.com, Jeff Canarish. Hello and welcome to another edition of Radar Contact. It's been a while since the last Radar Contact show because I've been busy in flight training on a new aircraft and a new category of flying, at least for me anyways. For the last few weeks, I've been training on the Boeing 767-400, learning how to fly trans-oceanic trips to Europe and to South America. Although I'm already typerated to fly both the Boeing 757 and the Boeing 767, I had to go through differences training on the 767-400. That's because in addition to being a larger airplane with some systems differences, the 400's cockpit instrumentation is completely different from the classic 767. The 400 also has an all-glass cockpit, meaning the systems and navigation displays are all projected on flat-screen monitors as opposed to round-dial analog displays that you're probably used to. I've posted photos of both the 767-300 cockpit and the 767-400 cockpit at your website, atccommunication.com, so you can see the differences between the two aircraft. Look for the link to those photos in the show notes for this show at atccommunication.com and look under the Radar Contact tab. One of the things I absolutely love about the 400 is the primary flight display. All of the essential flight information, including attitude, heading, vertical speed, altitude, and airspeed, are shown on one compact display right in front of the control yoke. This means a cross-check of all the primary flight instruments involves barely moving your eyes around one compressed display to see everything. This is so much easier and makes a lot more sense than having to scan six different round-dial analog instruments spread several inches apart on a traditional instrument array. So, learning to fly the 400 was a breeze. What did not come naturally was learning the new procedures for navigating across the Atlantic Ocean and talking to an en route traffic controller who handles the flow of traffic across the pond. I'll admit it took me a while to learn the new radio transmissions for this environment. Once we made landfall in Europe, some of the radio work there took me by surprise too. Especially hard was the radio communication while taxiing. Not because the ground controllers used unusual radio terminology. The terminology was familiar. The big problem was the complexity of the taxi clearances. If you look at the airport diagram I posted in the show notes for this edition of Radar Contact at atccommunication.com, you will see that the taxiway layout for Barajas International Airport in Madrid, Spain, is extremely complex. In fact... I challenge you to visualize a logical taxi route from our parking spot at Terminal 1, which I've indicated on the diagram by a red arrow, to our departure runway, runway 36 left, indicated by a black arrow on the diagram. I mean, take a look at that taxi diagram. There are labeled taxiways for more than 100 taxiway segments between the terminals and the runways. So imagine the controller giving you a taxi route over the radio that includes a bunch of those segments and, oh, by the way, Imagine the controller giving you your taxi instructions in an accent that is hard for you to understand if you are a pilot from the United States. 
Now, I may sound like I'm whining here, but in fact, I'm not. The reason I appreciated being thrown into this literally foreign environment is because it gives me a first-hand look at what new pilots go through the first several times they try to communicate with air traffic control. To a new pilot, everything about air traffic control can seem foreign. Worse still, if you happen to be a pilot from a country outside of the United States or Canada, and you're here in North America to receive your flight training, you are having to learn the language of air traffic control by listening to someone speak with an accent that is hard for you to understand. What I'm saying is this. My experiences as a pilot, brand new to international flying, makes it very clear to me that learning radio procedures in any foreign country is damn difficult. And here's another point I learned. Trying to pay attention to and understand air traffic control when you are busy learning to fly a new airplane also makes it difficult to divide your attention between aircraft control and listening to the radio. Does that sound familiar to you? But here's what I also know that might help you. The more I practiced radio work in a foreign environment, the better I got at understanding the controllers. The more comfortable I got with the new airplane, the more I was able to open my ears to the radio. The same thing will happen to you. Practice and repeated exposure to a new flying environment will naturally allow you to hear and understand air traffic control better and better. We have always known that practice makes perfect, right? You've heard that. That rule applies to communicating with ATC in the same way as everything else. Be patient, give yourself permission to make mistakes, and eventually you will learn, as I did, to become an expert communicator on the radio. Let's spend just a few more minutes on international flight procedures because I want to tell you about some G-Wiz technology you may eventually get to use in your cockpit. We aren't going to spend a lot of time on this because right now it is very specific to flights that cross the ocean, and I know it may be a while before you see that type of flying. But the tech is kind of interesting, so it's worth a few minutes. In the past, you may have heard me mention that communication with ATC would be so much easier if we could do it by text message. As you know, at busy airports, it can be very difficult to find a pause in the radio traffic where you can jump in and say what you need to say to ATC. Sometimes, finding an open slot to speak on the radio can be so competitive with other pilots on the frequency that it feels like a food fight. Wouldn't it be great if you can compose a text message to ATC in your own sweet time and then put that message in a queue? ATC could look at the list of incoming text messages and hand out responses by text without anyone having to fight for an opportunity to speak on the radio. Also, if most of those text messages could be formed by selecting pre-built sentences from a list of standardized messages, the chances for misunderstanding would be so much less than those communicated by voice. It turns out that communicating by text message with ATC is already available and in use by many aircraft crossing the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans every single day. It's called Controller Pilot Data Link Communications, or CPDLC. CPDLC allows pilots and controllers to send text messages to each other via satellite. In the cockpit, 
A small screen and a keyboard allows a pilot to send either select pre-printed messages grouped by category or to type freestyle messages. When a text message is ready to go, the pilot presses a send button and the message fires from the aircraft, bounces off a satellite, and lands at the appropriate ground-based facility. The message ends up in a queue at an air traffic controller station. The controller reads the message and then sends the appropriate response by text back to the aircraft. This is a two-way system, meaning ATC can also direct traffic by text message, and the pilots at the receiving end can acknowledge ATC clearances by text also. There is a limitation to CPDLC, though, and I'm sure you can guess what it is. Because ATC has a queue of incoming messages to read and digest, it takes more time for ATC to respond to a pilot's text message than it would for communication by radio. The time between sending a text message and receiving a response using this method may take anywhere from one to several minutes. So CPDLC is well adapted to over-ocean flight because, let's be frank about it, nothing happens very quickly during an ocean crossing. Unlike communication in a busy airport traffic pattern, for example, there is almost never a need for immediate communication between pilot and controller over the ocean. If there is, communication can always revert to voice communication over a high-frequency radio, also known as HF. That said, there are some useful adaptations for CPDLC, even in overland domestic flight. CPDLC could be used as a supplement to voice communication for non-urgent messages. For example, let's say you need a change of route. CPDLC could help you coordinate a new route with ATC without speaking on the radio. Another example where this technology might be helpful is getting and acknowledging taxi clearances, especially at crowded airports with complicated taxiway layouts. Imagine how much easier it would be to get your initial taxi clearance in a readable message that you can print out and compare to the airport's taxi diagram. Voice communication by radio will still be available for urgent messages or messages that override text messages. For example, if you are given a taxi route by text but a potential conflict with another aircraft begins to develop as you taxi, ATC could always hop on the radio and tell you to hold short of an intersection to prevent the conflict. There are a lot more uses for CP, DLC than we have time to cover here. I suspect you'll eventually see the use of text messaging in modern cockpits, even on general aviation aircraft flying cross-country, sometime in the not-too-distant future. It's something to look forward to, and I hope you'll get to enjoy it in your flying career. Longtime follower of ATCCommunication.com sent an email to me last week with an interesting question. Here's the question from Rob. A couple of times I have been using flight following and also was leaving Class C airspace for flight following and ATC asks what type of aircraft slash code. I have a Jabiru 250 light sport aircraft and cannot find any information on this. I tell them I have a light sport plane and they ask for the type code. How should I handle this? So this was my answer to Rob. I'm sure you're familiar with aircraft type codes. A typical and well-known code is the one for a Cessna 172. The FAA designator or type code is C172. For your aircraft, and I had to look this up, 
The type designator is a JAB4. By the way, in the show notes for this edition of Radar Contact, I've included a link to the page at the FAA's website where you may look up the aircraft code for your particular model of aircraft. I went on to tell Rob that some aircraft models may have more than one code listed at the FAA's website, so how do you know which one to go with? If you cannot nail down which code applies to your aircraft, you may also go to the ICAO, we call that ICAO's website, for more specific references. In Rob's case, his Jabiru 250 was listed both as a JAB-4 and possibly a JAB-1 under the light sport aircraft subcategory in the FAA's listing. So I directed him over to the IKO listings, which I've also included in the show notes for this show. And you should be aware the IKO is the originating source for all FAA codes. It lists his aircraft model specifically as a JAB-4. Of course, the question remains, why does ATC need to know your aircraft's type code? Why can't you just tell them, for example, you're flying a Piper Tomahawk and leave it at that? ATC's computer system wouldn't know a Piper Tomahawk from an Airbus 380 if both landed on the computer's mainframe. All the computer system recognizes aircraft codes. When you tell ATC you're flying a PA-44, the controller types that into his computer system, and instantly the computer will recognize and display your aircraft type on the controller's display in the data block next to your radar target. Well, before we leave this topic, there's one other consideration. Occasionally, ATC might ask you for your aircraft's suffix or code. What do they mean by that? When ATC asks you for your code or suffix, and they use those terms interchangeably, they are asking you for a special designator that tells the controller about your aircraft's navigation capability. This suffix is the exact same single-letter code you would use when filing a flight plan with the FAA. You can find those codes in the Aeronautical Information Manual on Table 5-1-2. I've reprinted that table in the show notes. Let's take a moment to look at that table and come up with an example so you know how to tell the controller what he or she needs to know about your aircraft. You are flying, in our example, a Piper Tomahawk that has a working transponder with Mode C. Your airplane also has distance measuring equipment which we abbreviate as DME. Looking at Table 5-1-2 in the AIM, or in the show notes at atccommunication.com, you'll see that your airplane has a suffix of A. That's alpha. That is, it falls under the subtable DME, and it is on the line for aircraft with a transponder with mode C. Now you might say, wait a minute. My aircraft has a VOR receiver and DME. I'm looking further down the table, and I see a listing for aircraft with VOR slash DME or INS with a transponder that has mode C. The code for that aircraft is the letter I, India. Why wouldn't I use the letter I for my aircraft? Well, look at the subheading where the letter I is listed. See how it says RNAV? RNAV refers to navigation equipment that allows you to fly from one random point in space in a straight line or a great circle route, to another random point in space. That's called point-to-point navigation or area navigation, which we abbreviate RNAV. In point-to-point navigation, you do not have to navigate from VOR to VOR or one VOR radial to another VOR radial. 
Some RNAV systems use GPS to allow you to fly point-to-point using satellite information. Others use gyroscopic platforms to measure your acceleration along different axes to calculate your position. These are called INS, or inertial navigation systems. And still others take VOR and DME measurements off multiple vortex to continuously triangulate your position. What they all have in common is they all let you fly point to point. So, when you look at the letter India suffix in Table 5-1-2, what you're actually looking at is an RNAV system that continuously calculates your position using VOR DME updates or INS updates. So the letter I does not apply to your aircraft if it does not have an RNAV system. The FAA assumes for the purposes of this table that your aircraft has a VOR receiver installed. From there, the table helps identify additional navigation equipment besides the VOR receiver. In your example airplane, you also have a DME receiver, so you have to look in the DME subsection of the table to further refine the description of your aircraft. That's how you end up on the line labeled A. Also note that just before every letter in the table, there is a forward slash, or if you'd prefer, call it a diagonal. That diagonal is included when you write your aircraft type code and suffix on a flight plan. For example, C172 slash T or Tango is for a Cessna 172 with a transponder without mode C and no DME. Now, the way you handle this on the radio is you tell ATC on the radio your suffix and you pronounce this forward slash or diagonal in your radio transmission as slant. So if your aircraft has a working transponder with mode C and DME, you would say to the controller, for example, Tomahawk 927 Sierra Charlie is a slant alpha. And if the controller asked you for your aircraft type code and suffix, you would say, Tomahawk 927 Sierra Charlie is a PA44 slant alpha. By the way, when you say your aircraft type code on the radio, it's permissible to say the letters and numbers of your code in plain English. In other words, it's okay to say PA44 as opposed to Papa Alpha 44. ATC also uses plain English when pointing out traffic to you in a, in a traffic alert. For example, traffic is a PA44 at your 1 o'clock and 5 miles. One last word on the subject and then we'll press forward. When you tell ATC your suffix, your suffix is based on working equipment in your aircraft. If your airplane has a DME display on the forward panel, but the DME equipment is malfunctioning or completely dead, it should not be counted when considering your suffix code. ATC wants to know what you have at your disposal to navigate. Make sure the equipment works before you include it in your suffix. I'd like to give you an update on the progress in development of the aircraft radio simulator. I have completed a functional simulation of a Cessna 172 instrument display that is coded in HTML5. This means the simulation will work on any browser platform without the need for Flash. The current simulator, accessible at atcinsider.com, is coded in Flash, meaning it will not run on web browsers that do not accommodate Flash, such as Safari. So this new version should be able to work on anything. 
I've also completed a voice recognition module that will allow you to communicate with simulated air traffic controllers who will understand your verbal responses to their instructions. The problem I'm running into right now with the voice recognition module is it is not interpreting certain words correctly. For example, if you say taxi via Alpha and Bravo, the voice recognition software misinterprets via as a capital V, capital letter I. However, if you say via, the software recognizes the word. Frankly, in the phrase taxi via Alpha and Bravo, the only two words that really matter to us are Alpha and Bravo. So now, I'm working on a routine that interprets only the keywords in a spoken phrase. And with that in mind, if you're listening to this and you have experience in coding, matching, and testing algorithms for regular expressions, and you happen to know something about JavaScript as well, would you please drop me an email at jeff at atccommunication.com? I sure could use some help on this. Whether or not you can help me with this, I plan to have a test module online for you to experiment with. The test module will be a voice recognition unit in which you can call for and receive taxi instructions to an active runway. Watch for an announcement by email that the test module is online. Before we get to our next topic, I want to take a minute to thank you if you've sent an email to me this month telling me how much my websites have helped you with your radio communication. I'm also grateful for the many questions I get by email month to month. Most of the material you hear in this show is springboarded off questions I get by email. I think it's so much better if I talk about what is actually on your mind rather than trying to guess what's on your mind. Keep that email coming. It helps put the focus squarely on your needs and makes for a more useful website and I think a better audio show, don't you? Before we get to your question of the week, I have a request. If you believe efficiency on the radio is important, you probably believe that last sentence I just said was a complete waste of your time. If I have a request, why don't I just say the request and save a few seconds off both our lives? (laughs) I don't mean to be sarcastic about this. I mean, you've heard someone say, may I ask you a question? And the other person sarcastically says, you just did. That's sarcasm at its worst. Now, I've just wasted about 30 seconds of your time. All I really needed to do at the beginning of this segment was ask what it was I needed to ask of you, right? All that chatter and jabber up to this point has been unnecessary filler, except I did it to make a point. I think there is a best practice when it comes to making requests with ATC, and here it is. Just ask. Some pilots feel it is necessary to say something along the lines of, Kansas City Center, Navajo 3756 Hotel, with a request. Then Center comes back, Navajo 3756 Hotel, go ahead. Why not simply begin with, Navajo 3756 Hotel request direct Joplin. If the radio is quiet, an air traffic controller will probably be listening to the frequency and be ready for your request. I mean, when you check in on a new frequency, you don't say, Kansas City Center, I'm about to check in with you. Are you ready for my check-in? No. You just switch to the new frequency and say, Kansas City Center, Navajo 3756 Hotel, 4500. You don't have an introduction in this situation. Why would you have to have an introduction prior to your request? Ah, but you say, let's say you begin your transmission by stating your request, and Center comes back, Aircraft calling, say again, I was on the landline. 
Is the world going to fall apart because you have to restate your request? No, absolutely not. You repeat your request and ATC responds. Let me make a couple of important distinctions about this. If you have a complicated request, then it's a good practice to alert ATC as to what you are about to ask. For example, if you want to request a change in routing with a long list of new navigation points, it would help to alert the controller that you're about to give them a mouthful of data. Center, Navajo 3756 Hotel has a route change request. But if your request is simple, such as a request for an altitude change or perhaps permission to fly direct to a point further along your route, just spit out the request without an introduction. I have one other point for you on this topic. There is a difference between a request and a general question. Sometimes you might want to ask ATC a, a general question about something that just happened or about a procedure that you do not understand from another time that's not even relevant to your current flight. Often the best way to address general questions that are not urgent is to call the ATC facility by telephone after you land. Sometimes, if the radio frequency does not seem busy at the moment, it's okay to simply ask your question by radio. In this case, it's always a good idea and courteous to proceed your question by asking the controller if he or she has the time to answer a question. Center, do you have time for Navajo 3756 Hotel to ask a question? To sum up, if you have a simple request, save time on the radio by stating your request as soon as there's a break in the radio traffic. Telling ATC you have a request before you actually make the request is just a time waster. If you have a complicated request, then consider alerting the controller about what you will be asking before you ask. If you have a general question, make sure the controller has time to listen to and answer your question before you fire off the question. Does that make sense? Of course, if you have a question, I always have time for you, so please write to me at Jeff at atccommunication.com. And now, let's get to your question of the week. You are flying VFR cross-country while talking to ATC for flight following. Earlier, you had filed a VFR flight plan and you listed your aircraft with a suffix of slant alpha, meaning your aircraft has a transponder with mode C, and you also have DME in your navigation suite. About halfway to your destination, you notice the DME display on your instrument panel goes blank. You try tuning in different vortex in your area, and although you receive radial information off each vortex, the DME display remains blank. You are absolutely certain your DME system has gone inoperative. Here's your question. Given your filed flight plan and the fact you are flying VFR, are you required to notify ATC that your DME has become inoperative? When you think you know the answer to that question, go to the link atccommunication.com forward slash answers. There you will find a complete answer to this week's question along with a complete explanation of how that answer was derived. Music for this show was provided by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com on a Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. 
If you happen to get a chance to fly this week, I hope you have beautiful weather and a great time. And if the aircraft radio seems extremely busy, I'm here to tell you, hang in there. Someday, hopefully in the near future, some of the radio congestion will be reduced by text messaging with ATC. You heard it here. I'm Jeff Canarish for ATCCommunication.com saying be well, keep in touch, and fly safe.